Well, if you've been following our, our order of service, perhaps you've already taken a peek at the sermon outline this morning, and you'll realize right away that we're not in the Gospel of Luke today. That's not a mistake. Um, we plan to resume our study of Luke's Gospel in two weeks, Lord willing, on January 15th. The reason is because next week is going to be dedicated as our annual Vision Sunday, where we will revisit our 2020 vision. This will be for the third time now. We're going to look at our 2020 vision looking back this time over uh, 2016, and Lord willing, looking forward toward 2017. And we're going to set some BHAGs for our church. You know what a BHAG is? Anybody here from the world of business? A BHAG, it's an acronym. B-H-A-G. It stands for Big, Hairy, Audacious Goals. And that's our plan for 2017. We need some BHAGs this year. And so this is a critical year for the 2020 vision. And I'm grateful that Seth prayed over it. And so next week, we're going to take time and walk through our 2020 vision and and, uh, find some encouragement there. So that just leaves us with today. How should we use the gift of the first day of a new year in the pulpit together? Our plan is to discover, or in some cases, renew what it means to walk. The word walk appears in the Bible about 1,500 times, and only a relatively small portion of the time is that word used literally. What I mean is that it's the exception rather than the rule in the Bible when we see the word walk that it actually refers to the lifting up and setting down of our feet one after another, moving in a particular direction. The Bible rarely uses the word walk in that way. Most of the appearances of this word from Old Testament to New are figurative. The word walk is a metaphor. It's a a symbol that's most frequently used to paint a picture of one's life in this world. Now, there are a number of modern English translations that have an unfortunate preference for the abstract as opposed to the concrete. Um, And it's a word that's often, too often, lost in translation. But in the Hebrew Old Testament and the Greek New Testament, as well as every humble English translation that will follow along, we have this word walk, just peppered from the Old Testament to New. And it's God's Spirit-inspired choice of vocabulary to describe our lives in this world. It means our conduct before God, our way in this world, our manner of life. So for God to describe our lives before him as a walk, he is furnishing us with a concrete image of life as a journey, right? Life as a a travel, a progression through this world. The word walk captures the Christian life at its best and I think at its most comprehensive Because Christians are neither most of the time neither spiritual sprinters, right? Nor are we to be spiritual sluggards. Christians are simply those who walk with God. So this sermon is called Walk with God, Walking with God, a personal vision for God's Word in 2017. And my hope before we're done is to see that we can make the vital connection between the call to walk with God and the connection with walking in the Word of God. So the big idea couldn't be any simpler. Walking with God means walking in the Word of God. Walking with God means walking in the Word of God. Now, just a a heads up before we launch in, we're going to see literally dozens and dozens of scriptures this morning, and so I don't uh, have have any illusions that you'll turn to uh, all or even maybe most of these. Um, 
they're all captured here in your sermon outline for you to take a look uh, afterwards at your own pace. So um, just let this wash over you. Take notes. Listen as, you, as you'd like. Address the, the scriptures you'd wish to, but there's no expectation you'll turn to all of these. So let's get started. Walking with God means walking in the Word of God. Okay, Genesis chapter 5, verses 22 and 24, we had read for us. It said that Enoch walked with God. In the very next chapter, Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9, we read in a similar vein that Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. But it's, it's not until we come to the prophet Isaiah that we begin to see an explicit connection forged between walking with God on the one hand and then walking in the Word on the other. So in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 8, the prophet is commanded by the Lord. He says, it, the Lord says, go, write it on a, before them on a tablet and inscribe my word in a book that it may be for the time to come as a witness forever. So there's the word. And then 13 verses later, he commands Israel to walk. He says in, in Isaiah 30, verses 21, 20 to 21, your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, whether you turn to the right or you turn to the left. So walking with God means walking in the word of God. The word of God is the way that God sovereignly has chosen to make himself known to us. It's always been that way throughout salvation history. I think one of my favorite examples in the Old Testament is the prophet Samuel when he's a little boy in the temple. Listen to Samuel chapter 3 verse 21. Samuel 3:21 says, "And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord." So, at Shiloh, Samuel's physical ears became his spiritual eyes, the eyes of his heart. And if Enoch and Noah and Samuel could walk in the Word of God, how much more those of us who have the completed Old Testament and New Testament culminating in the person and work of Jesus. So bearing that in mind, let's turn to seven reasons to walk in the Word of God in 2017. Seven reasons to walk in the Word of God in 2017. Number one, walking with God means walking in the Word. So first point, if you want to walk as Christ walked, walk in the Word. If you want to walk as Christ walked, walk in the Word. One of the ways that you know that you are an honest-to-goodness Christian, and not just a mere believer in some vague, nondescript sense, is that you want to become just like Jesus, right? If you're a real believer, you do. The prospect of becoming like Christ is not threatening to you, it's, it's thrilling to you. If you're a believer, you would do anything to lay aside the weight of sin that so easily besets you and not just walk, but as Hebrews 12 says, run the race that's set before you. The Apostle John proclaims in 1 John chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, By this we know that we are in Christ. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So do you claim to abide in Christ? If the answer is yes, then just one follow-up question is fitting. Do you walk in the same way in which he walked? Now, John is far from the only New Testament author who speaks this way. 
in a, in a section of his first epistle dealing with the topic of submission to authority generally, the Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter 2.21, For to this you have been called. For Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. And notice there, the Apostle Peter offers Jesus Christ to Christians as both substitute and example. The gospel message, of course, is that Jesus lived and suffered and died and was raised again on the third day and has ascended to his Father in heaven and is soon to return for us. That's the gospel message. That's the message. But the mandate is that we follow in his steps. The entailment of the gospel, the demand of the gospel, is that we walk in the same way that Jesus walked. The way that we say it in our church's vision on, on the front end is that our celebration of the gospel ought to be accompanied by a demonstration as well as a communication of the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ is to be believed, but that means by God's grace that it is to be lived. (laughs) Saving faith in Jesus Christ is a trust that transforms you into the very image of Jesus. So whoever says he abides in him and will walk in the same way in which he walked, Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that we might follow in his steps. So Christians are to be people who, who, walked as Christ, who walk as Christ walked. And if you want to walk as Christ walked, then walk in the Word. Walk in the Word. It's only the Scriptures that bear witness to the Savior. It's only the Word of God in pages that leads us to the Word of God in person. Only the inspired writings bring us to the feet of the incarnate Word. So Jesus says in John 5, 37 and following, the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. We might ask, where? Where has he done that? Jesus answers, the Scriptures bear witness about me. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Or in in Luke 24, verse 27, on the road to Emmaus, Jesus spoke to his disciples and said, uh, Luke says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in the Scriptures all the things concerning himself. And in the Great Commission, Jesus himself, Matthew 28, verse 20, he instructs us that our mission to be and make disciples includes as a vital aspect of it, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, Matthew 28, 20. Where do we find all that Jesus commanded us? We find it in the Bible and only in the Bible. So if you want to walk as Christ walked, then, then walk in the Word. Secondly, if you want to walk in the Spirit, walk in the Word. If you want to walk in the Spirit, walk in the Word. Capital S, Spirit. In Galatians 5.16, the Apostle Paul beckons us to walk by the Spirit. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. Galatians 5.16, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. Similarly, in Romans chapter 8, verse 4, Paul warns us to walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, what's interesting here is that Paul's clear connection or Paul's clear command to walk by the Spirit is there, but it's the prophet Ezekiel who's the first person to make the connection between the Spirit and the Word that I can find in the Bible anyway. Ezekiel 36, 27 says this in this great new covenant promise for us. I will put my spirit within you 
and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Did you hear it? So the Holy Spirit is given to us that we might walk with God, walking as Christ walked. But as the Scripture story unfolds, what we find is that the very place that we meet the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is here in the Word of God. Now, I want to be careful because I've, I've cautioned uh, people in this church before. I don't want to be misunderstood. Not, I'm not teaching a, a, a trinity of uh, Father, Son, and Holy Bible. It's not what we're saying here. Uh, the Bible is not the Spirit. The Spirit we worship as God because He is God. The Scriptures we read in order to worship God. But we have to admit there's an awfully tight relationship between the third person of the Trinity and the book that's sitting on your lap this morning. In Galatians 3.5, Paul asks a rhetorical question. Here's the question. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? I'll ask the question again. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? What's the answer? It's obvious to Paul, isn't it? By hearing with faith. Hearing what with faith? Hearing the Word. John Piper once wrote, If we want more of the Spirit of God, we must hear more of the Word of God. We must hear His promises and see their blood-bought certainty, value their goodness, and bank on them. Amen? Um, In his wonderful book on the topic of sanctification, which is called Keep in Step with the Spirit, J.I. Packer says something very similar to Piper as he writes this, Those who would live under the authority of the Spirit must bow before the Word as the Spirit's inspired textbook. Those who would live under the authority of Scripture must seek the Spirit as its interpreter. So if you want to walk in the Spirit, don't close your Bible. Don't empty your mind. Don't wait around for God to drop a loud word in your brain from His mouth. Walk in in the Word. Now recall that the Apostle Paul says that God supplies the Spirit by hearing with faith. With faith is is critical. We will not have the Spirit supplied to us without it. So hearing with faith is essential. Where does faith come from? That's the next point. If you want to walk by faith, guess what? Walk in the Word. If you want to walk by faith, walk in the Word. Now, let's make sure that we see that walking by faith is a New Testament expectation. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, We walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith. Romans 4, 17. Uh, Romans 4, 12, excuse me. It says that Christians walk in the footsteps of the faith that Abraham had. And then in Colossians 2.6, Paul alludes to walking by faith when he says this. Listen to this. This is an allusion to walking by faith. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. How do we receive Him? You know the answer to that question by now. By faith. By faith. We are to walk by faith. So one clarifying question then. Where does faith come from? 
I mean, it's, it's a huge question today because I know a number of unbelievers who will just look me in the eye and tell me point blank. They'll say, you know what, Dave, faith appears to be very easy for you. It's not for me. I've tried. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And I say to them, I didn't either. So would do a lot of Christians I know. But people will say, you know, I wasn't raised on this stuff. I'm just, I'm not, don't think I'm going to be a believer. I'm not a faith kind of person. I would be if I could be, but I can't be, but I won't be. So I'm not going to fake it. I just don't have faith. Haven't you heard folks talk that way before? I have. A lot of people. So what's the answer? How does faith so emerge in our lives that we may indeed come to walk in it? Romans 10, 17 furnishes us the answer. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word. That's where faith comes from. Ephesians 2, 8 tells us that faith is a gift of God. It's not something that we drum up from within us or something that's pounded in from the outside of us from a Christian home. It's just not how it works. It's a gift of God. So you place Romans 10, 17 alongside Ephesians 2, 8 and what we discover that faith is the gift of God mediated through the Word of God. We have to get our Bibles open if we would have faith or impart faith to another. Is it not the case? Think about your own life. In those seasons of your life where your trust in Christ just seems impenetrable, um, when your belief in Him is unbounded and when your faith in Jesus is just taking flight, those are the seasons of your life when your Bible is open, right? It is for me. And if you hear me say these things and you're thinking, I've never had a season of life like that, then I want to bear witness right now that you have something to look forward to as you walk in the Word in 2017. If you want to walk by faith in 2017, walk in the Word. Fourth point, if you want to walk in the truth, walk in the Word. If you want to walk in the truth, walk in the Word. Third John, we don't often quote Third John. Third John, verses 3 and 4, the apostle writes, Indeed, you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now, today, of course, it is still fashionable to deny that there is such a thing as the truth. In our culture, we are still waiting for the postmodern worldview mindset to collapse on itself under the weight of its own absurdity. Here's what I mean. The postmodern American stands up and actually has the brass to say this. There is no universal truth except, of course, this universal truth. Right? You can't do that. That doesn't hold up. That's weird. And yet it's the air that we've been breathing for a generation now in our American culture. It's all around us. It's just what people think. It's a self-refuting argument, but it's become the philosophy that most Americans live by. That's frightening. Today, it is the height of arrogance, so we are told, to claim that one knows the truth. At best, people say, we're more like, you've heard it, right? Blind men feeling an elephant, right? You've heard that before? One religion has the elephant's ear, one's got the trunk, one's on the side, but we're all just sort of examining the elephant of God from one side or another, and everyone's right. Everyone's got a little piece of the truth here and there. And so any, any talk of the truth is just sort of overwrought, it's, it's unnecessarily narrow, it's fundamentally misguided, it's divisive, it's not neighborly, and it's just plain unloving. 
Right? You've heard that before. I have too. Well, how do we respond to that? Would you like some help along these lines? Um, listen to the words of one of my favorite pastors today, Kevin DeYoung. Listen to how he explains how to respond to this mindset. Kevin DeYoung writes this. We all may be, by nature, like blind men, touching an elephant, not knowing whether what we're feeling is a trunk or a tail or an ear. But what if the elephant spoke and said, quit calling me a crocodile or a peacock or a paradox? I'm an elephant for crying out loud. That big floppy thing is my ear. That long thing you're yanking on is my trunk. That little frayed thing on the back, that's my tail. De Young says, what if the elephant gave us ears to hear his voice and a mind to understand his message? Would our professed ignorance about the elephant be uh, just simply our humility? Or would it mean that we are spiritually deaf? Well, friends, the elephant has spoken, right? And there's nothing greater in this universe than walking in the truth. Walking with God, walking as Christ walked, walking in the Spirit, walking by faith, it necessarily follows that we would be walking in the truth when we walk in the Word. So if you want to walk in the truth, then walk in the Word. It was King David who prayed in Psalm 86, verse 11, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Jesus prayed to the Father on the night that he was betrayed in John 17, 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now, the fifth point is no less important than the fourth, possibly even more important. Number five, if you want to walk in love, walk in the word. If you want to walk in love, walk in the word. Ephesians 5.2 commands us, commands us to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Notice once again, in the space of one verse, Christ is our substitute and our example. We have the gospel message that saves us and the gospel message that sanctifies us, all in one verse. Ephesians 5.2, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So notice that the message of the gospel is linked to the mandate of the gospel once again, and that mandate would be love. Walk in love as Christ loved us. It's a command. He loved us that we might become lovers. Lovers of God, lovers of other believers, and lovers of the lost. We are commanded to love, to walk in love. So how do you become a better lover of God? and of the church, and of the lost. You know how. The Word. The Word of God. If you want to walk in love, walk in the Word. Here's one of my favorite sentences in the New Testament that proves it. It, it is high on my list of favorite sentences in the New Testament. 1 Timothy 1.5. 1 Timothy 1.5 simply says this, The aim of our instruction is love. That's, that's the goal of the Bible. The aim of our instruction is love. The aim of our instruction is not more instruction. The aim of our instruction is not great big brains busting with Bible verses. The aim of our instruction is not we're right 
and everyone else is flat wrong. That's not the aim. According to Apostle Paul, 1 Timothy 1.5, the aim of biblical instruction is love. It's love. Simply put, if your study of Scripture is not making you a more loving person, I have a newsflash for you, you're doing it wrong. Every quiet time, every verse you memorize, every family worship time you lead or participate in, every sermon you hear, every Christian book you read, the aim of this instruction is love. 1 Corinthians 8.1 tells us that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Love builds the church. So think of love as lighter fluid on the flame of, the Word of God rather, is lighter fluid on the flame of love. Because it's the only place on the planet where love is actually explained to us what it looks like. Think about 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 8. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 8 proclaims love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. By the way, that's why if I were forced to choose between truth and love, I would choose love. Because real biblical love has truth built into it. Real biblical love doesn't just put up with the truth. Real biblical love doesn't just have a mental assent to the truth. Real biblical love rejoices with the truth. It continues to say, love bears all things. It believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things. Love never ends. Now that's the Bible. That's the Word. And if the Bible did not say such things about love, we would not know such things about love. And we would certainly not stand a chance of living such aspects of love. We're called to walk in love, 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love. And the aim of all biblical instruction is love. How are you doing on love these days? Well, if you want to walk in love, walk in the Word. Sixth, if you want to walk humbly, walk in the Word. If you want to walk humbly, walk in the Word. Micah 6, 8 and Daniel 4.37 contain twin truths that put together are vital for this, this topic and this understanding. Micah 6.8, we are commanded to walk humbly with our God. Daniel 4.37, it says, those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So God's plan A for his people is walking humbly with them. God's plan B for His people is humbling them. It was John Owen who once said, there is a pride in every man's heart by nature lifting him up and swelling him until he is too high and big for God to walk with. Did you know that? That's true. We must humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Christians are called to walk humbly. Ah, but how? What's the mechanism for this? That would be nice to be humble, not be so proud. What is the means that God uses us, uses to help us to become humble? Well, Isaiah 66, 2, the Lord says, this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite of spirit and what? Trembles at my word. 
We've said it before in this church, we may not all have PhDs, but by God's grace, we can all pursue HCTs. You know what an HCT is? A humble, contrite, trembling heart before the Word of God. Go for your HCT in 2017. Open the Bible. There is nothing like the Word of God thundering across our swelling landscape of our souls day after day to humble us, to keep us low to the ground, appropriately small. We're just not that impressive. None of us are. And the Word of God is a gift of God to humble the people of God. And if you desire to grow downward on your best days, you do in in self-effacing, unpretentious, unassuming walk with the Lord. If that is attractive to you, then walk through the pages of the Bible every day with God. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. If you want to walk humbly, walk in the Word. One final point. If you want to walk in newness of life, walk in the Word. If you want to walk in newness of life, walk in the Word. Romans 6.4, of course, calls us to walk in newness of life. Now, in some ways, this seventh point is a summary statement, isn't it, of the first six? The first six are newness of life. Number seven, we're just making it explicit now. Points two through seven are an unfolding of the first point. It's true also. To walk as Christ walked is to walk in the Spirit by faith in truth and love, humbly in newness of life. But all the same, this last point is a pretty good summary. It's a description of the first six. Walking in newness of life. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Don't you love that? This is the point that ties the others together. The Christian life is a walk. It's a walk. And that means that walking, as it sounds, is just not as exhilarating as running. On the other hand, walking is not as easy as reclining. Our walk with God needs freshness. It needs daily manna from Him. I've often said to people in Bible study, you know, if, if I were to be able to come into your house or your apartment and uh, strip your cupboards bare and empty out your fridge and you didn't know it, how long before you knew it, though? How long before you figured out that all the food was robbed from your house? It would not take me long. I drop by the kitchen just to see how the food is doing without me most times. <laughs> and if that's true of our physical bodies, how much more of our spiritual walk with the Lord. We need supernatural help. Our spiritual lives get stale. And in time, they get musty and moldy and they fall into spiritual decay. The hymn writer put it so aptly, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. God knows this about us, and so He summons us to walk in newness of life. At Romans chapter 12, verse 2, we hear the call to be transformed, how? By the renewal of our mind. John Owen, once again, put it this way. The mind of man is capable of receiving continual supplies of light and knowledge from the Lord. If this light and knowledge translates into obedience to God. But without this, 
the mind will become quickly stuffed with notions so that no streams can descend into it from the fountain of truth. And here's the, here's the money quote. As we learn all to practice, so we learn much by practice. Hmm. God, des- God desires that we walk in newness of life with him. And in Scripture, he gives us the means to do that. So Deuteronomy 8.3, Jesus quotes this to to, uh, Jesus quotes this to the devil in the desert in Matthew 4.4. 4. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Every piece of bread in your kitchen, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. If you do not eat, you will die. This is not debated in the medical community. It never has been. Sooner or later, you need to take food. Our bodies require physical sustenance to live. What we often don't recognize, though, is that our souls need the same sort of attention, the same sort of sustenance. And when a Christian, and I'll just make this personal, when I begin to lapse into doubt and self-pity, when I am plagued by false ideas, when I exhibit a shocking lack of discernment, when I am selfish and indifferent toward other people, Guess what probably is closed on my kitchen table? Probably, yeah. God calls us to walk in newness of life. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and on into heaven. You want to walk in newness of life? Walk in the Word. Walking with God means walking in the Word of God. If you want to walk as Christ walked in the Spirit, by faith, in the truth, in love, humbly, in newness of life, then walk in the Word. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said this, one who will not learn to handle the Bible for himself is not an evangelical Christian. That's very painful, so I want to say that again. One who will not learn to handle the Bible for himself is not an evangelical Christian. And if Dietrich Bonhoeffer is right, which I believe he is, then vast numbers of us in evangelical Christianity are wrong. And here at Mount Free Church, we want to help you with this in this new year. As you heard in the announcements, beginning this next Sunday, 9 a.m., there's a new Mount Free U class that's beginning, and we're calling it How to Read the Bible. An introduction to Bible study. We will cover topics like choosing a Bible translation. We'll talk about what it means to discern and discover what the Bible meant in order to find out what the Bible means. We cannot know what the Bible meant or the Bible means unless we know what the Bible meant. We'll also explore different genres of Scripture. We'll learn how to read narrative and poetry and wisdom and prophecy and apocalyptic and parable and epistle. We'll talk about topics like selecting and using a study Bible. I've even updated the calendar, uh, not yet to reflect this, but uh, how to navigate the, the, the Internet to figure out what the best resources are online for, for Bible study. What are the best podcasts out there? What are the best preachers to be listening to in our world today? We'll also talk about how to select biblical commentaries. And most importantly, we'll focus also on prayer and the illumination of the Holy Spirit as it relates to the study of Scripture. I hope you'll make plans to join us downstairs in the library 
this next Sunday, January 8th, 9 a.m., from Mount for You. So, this book is God speaking. This book is totally trustworthy. This book is able to be understood. You need this book. This book is powerful. And this book and only this book is equipped to lead you to the feet of Jesus Christ in 2017 and to help you lead others to his feet as well. How many of you are looking forward to life in this church with anticipation in 2017 as we walk in the word together? Me too. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We simply thank you on this first day of this new year for the book that you have inspired. This book that you have drawn men to write. This book is the word of man, but it is so much more than that. It is the very word of God written. This book is you speaking to us. And I pray, Father, that we would stake all of our lives on this book, especially as it leads us to Jesus. Lord, we're all going to have different approaches throughout 2017. There's no cookie-cutter approach to studying Scripture, so I I pray that we would be free uh, from slavish imitation of one another, but that we would learn from each other, best practices from each other. Father, that we would learn from the ground up what it means to study the Bible. I pray that that class would be packed next Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for how to read the Bible. And Father, may we, as we get these tools and as we uh, live inside of your word, Lord, that it would transform everything. It would create in us lives that are Christ-like and spirit-led and truth-driven and love-saturated and, and moving into the lives of those around us so that we can edify other believers and say a good word for Jesus among those who don't know him, who don't know a thing about what we've talked about here. Lord, we have good news to share in 2017. So equip your church with your word. Build your church this year with the word of God and on the word of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.